Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720. Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois. Christ is risen, indeed he's risen. And I greet you here at Light of the East with that greeting for really the last time now because this week we approach the great feast day of the Ascension of our Lord. And after the Ascension of our Lord, which in the Byzantine Church we still keep on Thursday, Ascension Thursday, which is 40 days after Easter or Pascha, we keep that observance and afterwards we no longer say Christ is risen. We say, basically, Christ is ascended. For a few more days, we'll say that after the Feast of the Ascension on Ascension Thursday. But until then, we do greet you with, Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. I'd like to send out our greetings and congratulations and prayers to our neighbors, the Diocese of Joliet, Illinois, because they just had a new bishop name for them after some time. Their new bishop is Reverend Daniel Conlon, Reverend Daniel Conlon. I had the pleasure of meeting Bishop Conlon recently when I was giving some talks at a men's conference in Marietta, Ohio, because that's part of the Diocese of Steubenville. And Bishop Daniel Conlon was the bishop of the Diocese of Steubenville. Now he'll be my neighbor in the Diocese of Joliet. So we do say hello to him and welcome him and also our prayers out to the diocese with their new bishop. Also, we'd like to once again ask for your prayers and, and your sympathies for our suffering brethren, Eastern Catholics, especially in Iraq, because once again, we hear news of even more atrocities recently. An Iraqi Christian was killed, mutilated, in fact, in North Iraq. And so the, just, the, the tragedy just keeps going on and on. As you know, we've been covering this and keeping you in touch with this because you don't get it in the mainstream media. But we keep in touch with this here at Light of the East because we're interested, of course, in the entire eastern lung of the church and our brethren in the Middle East 
people like the Chaldean Catholics, the Syrian Christians, all Christians really in the Middle East are suffering a persecution that you just don't hear enough about. And it's a terrible persecution. It's a very, very vicious one. And of course, we've had our friend Juliana Tamarazzi on here many times, and we'll have her back. She's a good friend of us here at Light of the East and also on Eastern Christian Media. You can go to easternchristianmedia.com to see some of her news desk work. Juliana is the president of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council, and so she does keep us informed. In fact, this last incident I received from Juliana, she was literally sitting there in my office talking with me, and she received a, a phone call, and here it was a phone call of this news, and now it's out in the, in the media, but not nearly as much as it should. So again, we want to pray for our suffering brethren, especially our Eastern Christians in the Middle East, and in particular, Iraq. I had the opportunity to deliver some talks at the Napa Valley Men's Conference in California, beautiful Napa Valley. And I met some of you out there, some of our listeners, and I want to greet all of you. Especially, I want to greet Ed Hopner from the Diocese of Oakland, who was sort of like my guardian angel out there, driving me all around in San Francisco and the Bay Area, as they call it out there. Also, my good friend, Bishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Diocese of Oakland. And all the people that hosted me out there were so, just such great great friends, such great supporters. And those of you who listen, in particular, Mary Lou, Mary Lou from the Russian Byzantine Catholic Church. That's right, the Russian Byzantine Catholic Church in San Francisco. We're going to talk about that church in just a moment here. Thanks to Mary Lou, because she sent me a message and told me when I was there, she reminded me that we have not ever really mentioned this church on our program. At least I don't recall that we have. And uh, certainly she brought that to my attention, and I really appreciated that. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Russian Byzantine Catholic Church. Many of you are probably more familiar with the Russian Orthodox Church, but we're going to talk a little bit about the Russian Orthodox Church and a couple other churches as well today on our program. We're coming up, of course, on the secular feast day of Memorial Day, and I'd just like to mention something about that because there are certain feast days in the secular calendar that in some ways correspond to certain, to a certain extent. They have a kind of a connection, at least in their spirit, to the feast days and observances in the liturgical calendar. And one of those, I always believed, was Memorial Day. This idea of, of memory, of remembering, is big for us in the Eastern churches. In fact, we have a day coming up, our fifth All Souls Saturday, in which we do remember all the deceased. All deceased, actually, on that one, from the time of Adam, and we'll be, you'll be hearing more about that in a subsequent program. But remembering is very big in the Eastern mind, the Eastern soul, the Eastern spirit. And I'm very pleased that we do that in America, where remember, Memorial Day is a time to remember someone in particular, soldiers who died, who gave their life so that we could be free. I oftentimes think of people today, whenever we get angry at the government, and we have protests, and we complain, and we, get, we can get pretty Pretty flippant, pretty, pretty arrogant, and pretty prideful in a lot of our attitudes. And I often think to myself, you know, the only reason we could say such things, we can make protests and so on, is because somebody else, somebody else paid the supreme sacrifice of their life so that we could walk around, you know, shooting off our mouths and protesting or being arrogant and belligerent and so on. That's the right of our country. I know it's our freedom. But we only have that freedom because somebody else died so that we could do that and to be free to do a lot of other great things as well. And so we do remember, as we do so well in the Eastern churches, we remember those in America who served in the armed forces and who died in war so that we could be free. Free to do things like we're doing right now to bring you this program. So it is, as we say in the Byzantine church, we say about their souls, may God remember them forever. We also have coming up, as I mentioned, the great feast day of the ascension of our Lord. 
And that, of course, in the Eastern Church comes 40 days after Christ's resurrection. That is how it is in the Scripture. And we're going to look at some liturgical texts which always bring across for us the spirituality, you know, the deep spirituality of the feast day. But I want to get back to our friend Mary Lou and the Russian church for a moment here. There are many churches, many Eastern Catholic churches, that have, of course, their own bishops or sometimes even their own patriarchs. But there is a group of Eastern Catholic churches that do not have their own bishop. They're very small. They're very interesting histories and origins. And one of those is the Russian Byzantine Catholic Church. Now, there's a wonderful little Russian Byzantine Catholic parish in San Francisco. Father Eugene Ludwig is the pastor there. And he was very gracious to me when I visited there recently and saw people like Mary Lou and others there that uh, were, you know, listened to the program and appreciated their input. And there's a, it's a cute little church. It was actually a, a converted house. It's been around since 1954, which is actually when I was born. So it's been around my whole lifetime. And it's in, it's in the part of San Francisco that is, was actually originally a Russian immigrant area of San Francisco. San Francisco, of course, has many in, incredible ethnic areas. But this particular church, it's called Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of Fatima Russian Byzantine Catholic Church. And I'm going to share with you a little bit of information about the Russian Byzantine Catholic Church from, once again, the great book called The Eastern Christian Churches, a brief survey by Father Ronald Roberson. Highly recommend his work. Father Ronald Roberson works for the Catholic bishops of America, but he's kind of like I call him in a good way, kind of like the spy for them on the Eastern churches. And boy, is he a good spy. He really, really is thorough in, in whatever is happening in the Eastern churches all around the world. So he does incredible work. So if you ever come across any of his work, that's Father Ronald Roberson. And one of my favorite books of his is the Eastern Christian churches. And this is what he says about the Russian Byzantine Catholic Church. From the early 19th century till 1905, Greek Catholicism was illegal in the Russian Empire. And when we say Greek Catholicism, this doesn't mean that people are Greek. It just means that their spiritual origins came from the Greek missionaries. In other words, the Greek Byzantine missionaries. Okay, I'll continue. But after Tsar Nicholas II issued his Edict of Religious Toleration, a few small communities of Greek Catholics were formed. In 1917, an apostolic exarchate was established for them. Now, an exarchate is whenever a church does not have its own bishop, but it's kind of a representative. But this was soon followed by the communist revolution, after which the group was virtually annihilated. Now, a second apostolic exarchate was set up for the few Russian Byzantine Catholics in China on May 28, 1928, based in Harbin. This was always an extremely small community, and today approximately 3,500 live in the diaspora. A Russian college, the Russicum, was founded in Rome in 1929 under Jesuit supervision to train clergy to work with Russian emigres and in Russia itself. Now, this Russicum is kind of close to my heart because, first of all, I used to visit there a lot when I studied in Rome. And also, I just visited there recently when I was attending Pope John Paul II's beatification Always very hospitable there. And the Rusikum produced people like Father Walter Chizik, who wrote that great book, With God in Russia. And also, proud to say, a student who went there was Father Theodore Romja, who was also a blessed from our church. He suffered under communism. He actually wanted to be trained to missionize, to evangelize under communism. So you can see the zeal that this man had. And eventually, yes, he died as a result of his beautiful, holy, humble ambitions to serve the church behind the Iron Curtain. But he was trained at this Rusicum, which is in Rome. Again, it was founded in 1929 under Jesuit supervision to train clergy to work with Russian emigres and in Russia itself. 
Now, the apostolic exarchates in Russia and China are still officially extant, but as of mid-1998, had not been reconstituted. There are two Russian Byzantine Catholic parishes in the United States. There's one in Montreal, Canada, and one in Melbourne, Australia. Well, listen, we want you to stay with us here on Light of the East as we continue to look at Eastern Catholic churches that don't have their own bishop. And what is the church to do about that? Well, we'll find out when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Stay with us here on Light of the East. Listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. To find out how you can obtain a copy of the Theosis CD, call 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. The Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, Theosis CD. And may God grant you... You're listening to... Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Married couples, I have good news for you. There are no such things as marriage problems. I am Father Thomas J. Loya with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. There are no marriage problems. There are only problems in knowing and living the theology of the body, which answers the question, why are we a man and why are we a woman? When we know this, we come to know our legitimate needs as man or woman, and marriage is all about meeting these legitimate needs. Remaining unaware of these needs is what begins the process of exchanging hurts, leading to strained relationships. A woman's greatest need is to be relationally fulfilled by knowing her husband is emotionally present to her. A man's greatest need is to know that his wife believes in him, that he is more than adequate, and that he has what it takes to be a man. Our legitimate needs as man and woman are revealed in the very language of our gendered bodies. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lloyd, your host. And once again, I want to send my greetings and my thanks to all of those wonderful people out in San Francisco, the, the Bay Area, as they call it there. I learned to call it that, the Bay Area, that's San Francisco and Oakland, and also Napa Valley. I spoke at the Napa Valley Men's Conference, their sixth annual, a wonderful group of men, and it was at St. Apollinaris Church, which is an interesting name because that's a church that was dear to the Eastern churches a long time ago. It was, it was actually a church in Ravenna. It's got beautiful, famous mosaic icons. And that parish puts on this men's conference. I was invited to speak there. 
I met many great people there. In the process, met some of our listeners. I want to say hello to all of you who listen to our program, especially Mary Lou. Mary Lou, this one's for you because we're talking about, of course, the Russian Byzantine Catholic Church. Now, we mentioned that there was only two in the United States, one of which I had the honor and privilege to attend and celebrate Divine Liturgy with their pastor, Father Eugene Ludwig. And also, there is one in Montreal, Canada, and in Melbourne, Australia. Now, what we mean when we say these churches don't have bishops, it means they don't have their own particular Byzantine Catholic bishop, but they are under a bishop. They generally go under the bishop of the Latin Rite. But in the meantime, as they do at the Our Lady of Fatima, Russian Byzantine Catholic Church in San Francisco, during the liturgy, they commemorate that bishop, you know, the Latin Rite bishop, but also they commemorate the patriarch of the Melkite Byzantine Catholic Church, Patriarch Gregorius, and also they remember the Orthodox Patriarch as well, a Russian Orthodox Patriarch and other Russian Orthodox leaders as well. So there's kind of a, a kind of a good ecumenical kind of prayer that goes on in this parish and this liturgy. And I guess not having their own particular bishop kind of gives them, a, I guess, a certain freedom to do that, as it were, to be in a, in a sort of a special way ecumenical. But there are other churches other than the Russian Byzantine Catholic Church that are Eastern Catholics but do not have their own particular bishop. One of those is the Belarusians. Now, like their Ukrainian counterparts, Belarusian Catholics originated in the Union of Brest. Now, that was in the 16th century. That's one of those reunions of the parts of the Orthodox Church with the Roman Catholic Church, once again, just as my church was, too. That's how the Eastern Catholic Churches were formed. The parts of, and it's, and it's particularly important to emphasize parts of the Eastern Orthodox Churches reunited with the Pope of Rome. This, this all started probably about, the, well, the earliest one started in about the 15th century. So the Belarusians were the, one of those churches that originated in one of these reunions, which is the Union of Brest. But the Belarusian Greek Catholic Church was suppressed by the Russian imperial government along with the Ukrainian Catholic Church in the 19th century. And after World War I, a community of about 30,000 Greek Catholics emerged in areas of Belarus that had been annexed by Poland. An apostolic visitator was appointed for them in 1931 and an exarch in 1940. But after World War II, when the area was absorbed by the Soviet Union, the church was again suppressed and integrated into the Russian Orthodox Church. But following the collapse of communism and the independence of Belarus in 1991, Belarusian Greek Catholics began to emerge once again. Now, I just want to mention that Belarus actually means white Russians. That's the area near Ukraine, kind of the northern part is basically where, where it is. And you may have heard of this name before, unfortunately, because the area of Belarus, where the Belarusian church is, of course, is the area that got hit pretty hard by the tragedy of Chernobyl, you know, the nuclear plant that exploded uh, some years ago. So you may have heard of Belarus from there. But Belarus means white Russian, actually. By early 1992, three priests and two deacons were at work, and unlike most of their Roman Catholic and Orthodox colleagues, were celebrating the liturgy in Belarusian. Although gaining legal recognition was proving difficult, at least 10 parishes had applied for registration. Now, a survey of religious affiliation undertaken by the Belarus State University in 1992 indicated that about 100,000 Belarusians identified themselves as Greek Catholic. Now, there are about 5,000 Belarusian Greek Catholics in the diaspora. They have a parish in Chicago, Illinois, and a religious and cultural center in London, England. Okay, so we've got the Russian Byzantine Catholics. We've got the Belarusians who are Eastern Catholics, like I am, like my church and other Eastern Catholic churches, except the difference is they're small and they don't have their own bishop. Another one, there's a few others, like the Georgians and the Albanians. Now, the Georgians, uh, their history is this. 
Catholic missionaries began to work in the Georgian kingdom in the 13th century, setting up small Latin communities. A Latin diocese existed in Tbilisi from 1329 to 1507. Then in 1626, missionaries began to work specifically with Georgian Orthodox faithful. The Russian government, which had controlled Georgia since 1801, expelled the Catholic missionaries. But in 1848, Tsar Nicholas I agreed to the creation of a Latin diocese at Tiraspol with jurisdiction over Catholics in the vast southern regions of the empire, including Georgia. So a small community of Armenian Catholics existed in Georgia since the 18th century because the Tsar forbade their Catholic subjects to use the Byzantine Rite and the Holy See did not promote its use among the Georgians, no organized Georgian Greek Catholic Church ever existed. In 1920, it was estimated that of 40,000 Catholics in Georgia, 32,000, 32,000 were Latins and the remainder of the Armenian Rite. However, a small Georgian Byzantine Catholic parish has long existed in Istanbul. Currently, it is without a priest. Twin male and female religious orders of the Immaculate Conception were founded there in 1861, but have since died out. After Georgia became independent again in 1991, the Catholic Church was about to function, was able to function more freely, and a significant Armenian Catholic community was able to resume a normal ecclesial life. Now, I might remember, recall that Georgians, Georgia, as it were, is not a state of the United States, only that. It's, it's also a country that was actually part of the Soviet Union, but of course it was received independence in 1991. And there's one more group of Eastern Catholics that don't have a bishop. We're featuring them today on our program, Light of the East. And that is the Albanians. Now, the first community of Byzantine Catholic Albanians was a small mission along the coast of Epirus that existed from 1628 to 1767. A second group was established in about 1900 by a former Albanian Orthodox priest, Father George Germanos. By 1912, his community numbered about 120 and was centered in the village of Elbasan. In 1938, monks from the Italo-Albanian monastery at Grata Ferrata came to assist them. An apostolic administrator of southern Albania was set up for the community in 1939 and was temporarily placed under the pastoral care of the apostolic delegate in Albania. By 1945, it had about 400 members. But in that year, the archbishop was expelled from the country. The group vanished after 1967 when Albania was declared an atheist state. In 1996, Hill Kabashi was appointed the first bishop of the apostolic administration since 1945. But its faithful, which numbered just over 2,000, are almost entirely of the Latin Rite. In 1998, there were no parishes or priests for the handful of Byzantine Catholic faithful. It mentioned here in this little history of the Albanian Byzantine Catholics, the Italo-Albanian monks from a famous monastery at Grata Ferrata. Now, Italo-Albanian refers to another Byzantine Catholic church, you know, following the Byzantine rite in southern Italy. See, a lot of Italy was actually under the influence of the Byzantine church, the Byzantine Empire for a long time, especially going all the way back to the 500s with uh, people like Emperor Justinian. And in fact, you find some of the most magnificent examples of Byzantine mosaic iconography in areas of Italy, especially like in Palermo and back, well, and then if you go north into areas like Ravenna or even Venice. And so Italy is rather providentially, I think, for a lot of reasons, it seems that Italy was the providential choice to become that meeting point of East and West, to become really the center the head of the church, that the city of Rome and, and Italy, because Italy really was the meeting point of East and West, and in a sense it still is. And historically it certainly had that history to it. So it's a very fascinating country, fascinating to visit the churches there. You'll see 
Byzantine influence all over the place there. In fact, when I was there, I had no trouble whenever I was introduced as being Byzantine right. The Italians seemed to know right away what that was. Oh yeah, Rito Byzantino, che bella, che bella, they'd say. The Byzantine right, very beautiful, very beautiful. It was very gratifying for me to hear that, to, hear, to go to another country other than my own, and to see people that understood that, knew what I was as a Byzantine right person, seminarian, or priest. And it's because they had that inheritance, and it's still all over the place in Italy, in the great, mainly great basilicas and the churches throughout all of Italy. So we have then, at Mary Lou's request, our friend Mary Lou in San Francisco, at Our Lady of Fatima, Russian Byzantine Catholic Parish, we have just a little bit of introduction into some of these lesser-known Eastern Catholic churches. Again, they all originally had Orthodox roots, like all Eastern Catholic churches did, all except the Maronite, right? And they came into reunion at different points and in, through, through different histories at different times in the last several centuries. Some of them are very, very small, almost extinct, but they still have their own particular dignity and their own particular history. And we wanted to share that with you today at the request of our good friend, Mary Lou. Once again, I want to thank everyone for listening, especially those of you who are out in California, the Bay Area. And please join us next week. We've got a lot more coming up. So I'm Father Thomas Loya here on Light of the East. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, Catholic Radio International.com.